scripture reading for this morning comes from Luke, Luke chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. May we give our attention to it. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judah, Herod, Tetrarch of Galilee, or Galilee, his brother Philip, Tetrarch of Etoria, and Traconius and Lysias, uh, Tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Ananias and Caphias, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the desert. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance. For the forgiveness of sins, as is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all mankind shall see God's salvation. John said to the crowds, coming out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the tree, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. And now for the Old Testament reading, as well as our sermon text, uh, Malachi chapter 3, beginning, excuse me, Malachi chapter 2, beginning in verse 17. You have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied him, you ask? By saying, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them. Or where is the God of justice? See, I send my messenger, who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple The messenger of the covenant, whom you desire, will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in the days gone by, as in former years. So I will come near to you for judgment. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers, against those who defraud laborers in their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless and deprive aliens of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. I, the Lord, do not change. 
So you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Thus ends reading of God's holy word. Let us pray together. Our God, we ask that you would speak to your people. We ask that you would use your servant in a mighty way to prepare your way, that we would see uh, and prepare for your coming. For you have come, Father, and you will come again. Alleluia. Amen. Tragic news is perhaps the most common news that we hear today, isn't it? It is uh, surprisingly normal to hear in the news tragedies that simply overwhelm us, uh, tragedies that we cannot comprehend the depth of. We hear of terrorist attacks that claim the lives of 130 people in Paris. We hear of pastors' wives who were executed in their own homes for no other reason than because she was at home when a robbery took place. We hear of multiple mass shootings where countless innocents are killed in a moment. I believe that uh, 2015 actually has had uh, almost as many shootings as there are mass shootings as there are days in the year. The number of incidents is well over 300 this year. And we hear this news so frequently that we become numb to the horrific nature of these acts. And we don't want to accept how ugly the world is that we live in. We don't want to look it square in the eye. But if we do stop and try to look at all the evil in the world square in the face, the question might be asked by Christians or non-Christians alike, where is God's justice? Non-Christians ask this question, where is God's justice in a way as to mock our God, saying, if there is a God, where is his justice? How could he allow such things to transpire in the world? What kind of God would let these things happen? While Christians ask the same question, wondering why it seems as though God sits on his hands, silently watching from heaven as the world falls apart around us. Where is God's justice? And this morning, as we continue our Advent series, that is the question of the text that is before us, that highlights the coming day of the Lord and points us towards his first appearing many years ago. Where is God's justice? That is the central question to the text that we are looking at. Is God's rule over this world, over his particular people, just? Is God going to do anything about the state of the world that we live in? And if so, how? What must be done to make the world right again? Well, people of God, for God to make the world right again, our text before us makes it plain that God must draw near. He must come into the world, and when he does, he will cleanse it with fire. Our text opens up, and the first thing we see is that God sends his messenger. God sends his messenger. As we come to uh, Malachi chapter 3, God has already, throughout the book of Malachi, been uh, responding to complaints against him from his people. And you very much get the sense 
of the people of Israel complaining in the wilderness. It's a very parallel idea and account. God is on trial by his people, and in one sense here, he has prepared a defense and has at each point turned the tables back on the people of Israel. They have been challenging whether God truly is uh, true to his promises, whether he is still good, whether he has forsaken them. And God responds, it's not me who's forsaken you, but you who have forsaken me. You are the ones who have been faithless, Judah. You are the ones who have profaned the sanctuary of God. But as you move throughout the book of Malachi, God answers each of Israel's complaints that, is le- that are leveled against him, reminding them that they alone are responsible for the sin that drives them from God's face. And in chapter, in verse uh, 2 of chapter 1, God says, I love you, and the people complain against him. How have you loved us? I mean, you get the sense of the situation of the Old Testament church when you hear that question. They no longer believe in the love of God for his people. And God responds and declares how he indeed does the very thing that he is accused of not doing. You say, I haven't loved you. You question my goodness to you, but look at what I have done for you. Look back at your history. Look back at what I have done. Know that I have set my love upon you and not Esau. I have preserved you against Edom. Your own eyes have seen my great salvation again and again. And yet you weary me with these questions. And truly, these questions Israel is asking God are wearying Questions For God shows over and over again how he is a good God, how he is a loving God, how he keeps his promises to a thousand generations, and that those promises are yes and amen in him. And yet at each point throughout the text, the people of God question God's very character and nature. They put God in the dock, and it finally culminates At the end of chapter 2, with the question, where is the God of justice? You say you love us. You say you care for us. And yet, we see the wicked prosper all around us while the righteous suffer. By all accounts, it sure looks like you delight in those who do evil. What do you have to say for yourself? Where is your justice, O God? It's shocking how quickly we blame God when things don't go the way we believe that they should. When everything isn't going the way that we want them to. When the world isn't all that it should be. When our own personal kingdoms aren't prospering. We question God and we accuse him of doing wrong. What are you doing, God? This doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem good. What do you have to say for yourself? Where is your justice? And God, we'll see in chapter 3, responds in an unusual way, way to these complaints. God says, behold, I will send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. 
The Lord whom you seek will surely come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant whom you delight in, behold, he too is coming, says the Lord of hosts. It's not exactly the response that we expect or truly are looking for. You know, Israel wants God to say, sorry things haven't been going the way that you want them to. Uh, Here's a coupon for a free meal the next time you come back in. Let me fix things for you so that the road rises to meet your feet and so that the wind is always to your back. That is what Israel desires. They want God to bring justice now. They want God to deal with the wickedness that is in the world now. And God responds, you want justice? You want wickedness dealt with? But when I come, I will come in justice but it is not in the way that you think or desire. You see, when a holy God comes, when you are inviting a holy God to come, he comes with ultimate justice and judgment upon the wicked. He will not play favorites. He will not judge, or he will not judge everyone else but the house of Israel. And he says, when I come, you, O house of faith, will need to prepare yourself for a reckoning. For when God comes, he draws near in fire and in terror. And so God prepares his people by sending forth his messenger, this messenger who is to prepare the way of the Lord, to prepare the people of Israel for his coming, for this holy God who will come. He sends one forth to cry out in the wilderness as Isaiah 40 speaks about saying, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for God. Make straight the road on which God will travel to meet his people. And when he does travel that highway in the wilderness, the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all mankind together will see it. The whole purpose of this particular messenger who will go and leave the way, you'll notice, it is to prepare for the coming of God. Well, how do you prepare for the coming of God? By calling for repentance and turning from sin and living in the faith or faith in the one who is to come. And that is exactly what God did, isn't it? Even as we read in the New Testament this morning, the New Testament makes it plain that John the Baptist came to prepare the way for God's coming, to prepare the road, the highway upon which God would walk upon. And God sends forth John the Baptist who cries out, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. God is coming. Prepare yourself. Remove your sins from you. For every branch, every tree that does not bear good fruit will be cut off and removed. Prepare yourself for the one who comes baptizing, not in water as I come baptizing, but in fire. And Malachi goes on to tell us that after this first messenger comes, the Lord will suddenly Come to his temple. And the one whom we seek, the messenger of the covenant, in whom you delight, will come. It's an interesting phrase there, the messenger 
of the covenant, and we will come back to it. But we learn later in the scriptures that this one is none other than Jesus Christ, the one whom John said himself was not even fit to untie the sandals or the straps of his sandals from his feet. And Malachi tells us, when this one comes, so too have I come. In this messenger, in this man, God himself will be. And when God himself comes, who can stand? For surely, God does not come, only come with messengers to prepare his way, to prepare the way before him. But he comes, and when he comes, he comes in fire. Right after God announces to these Israels who, Israelites who are seeking pure, unadulterated justice, that is what they are seeking, God says, you want justice. I will bring justice. I will come down. I will deal out justice. But I hope you're prepared for it. I hope my messenger prepares you well enough for my coming. For who can stand when he appears? Who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand in the day when the Lord of hosts arrives? It's interesting, but when you hear some of that language here, there is no question that before us stands a holy God who will not tolerate wickedness in the least. Here is a God who, when he comes, he comes to prepare to make war against all the ungodly. That's what that title means, Lord of hosts. The idea is that this is a God who has an army behind him. He comes as the Lord prepared to sit upon his throne and judge and make war upon all the earth. And that is why Malachi cries, who can contain the day of his coming? Who can stand in this day of his appearing? It's like trying to contain the mighty rushing waters of a flood or truly to contain a fire. Who can do these things? For when God comes, he is as a fire. That's what Hebrew 12 told, uh, or tells us. He is a consuming fire. Who will stand on that day when God comes blazing? Ezekiel once tried to describe the indescribable appearance of God, and he said, I saw an appearance of fire, and there was brightness all around him. God is a God of fire. When he came down to Mount Sinai, he covered the mountain in fire. This same God consumed Sodom and Gomorrah with fire. This is a God who is holy beyond comprehension. But the text describes not just a consuming fire, you will notice, but not just a fire that destroys, but a purifying fire. You see, he is both. He is not one or the other. Verse 3 tells us that on the day of his coming, he will sit as one who refines and cleanses silver. He will cleanse the sons of Levi and refine them, and they will be an offering to the Lord. You see, people of God, fire, purpose, or fire serves two purposes in the scriptures. Either it consumes or it purifies Either it destroys or it cleanses. And God says, at my coming, 
I will cleanse this people of God through fire. They will truly pass through fire, they, and yet they will go through unsinged and unscathed, just as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did once before. God will purge the sins of his people from them. He will purify us until there are no more impurities left, you'll notice, until all the dross has been removed, and then... And only then the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord. God promises to purge his people of their sin. These people who back in chapter 2 verse 11 tells us have been a faithless people. They have profaned the name of the Lord and the Lord's house. These priests who have desecrated the name of the Lord, who have offered false worship to him and sacrificing lame and sick animals. God says through this fire at my coming, you will be cleansed. And through the preparation of a messenger who prepared the way for my coming, then through the cleansing of fire, then and only then will the people of God be prepared for his coming. Prepared for his coming. Verse 5 tells us that when God comes, once he has cleansed his people, he will draw near for judgment. Israel will get her wish. And he will be a swift judge. He will be witness against those who are sorcerers, or another way of uh, speaking of it, or those who worship God falsely or false gods. Those who swear falsely, those who have lied, who have told lies, those who oppress the fatherless and widows, those who don't care for the less fortunate, who don't give the hired man his proper labor or wages, who do not care for the sojourner, the alien in their midst. In short, he will judge all those who do not fear the Lord at his coming. His judgment will be swift, says the Lord of armies. And as, these, uh, particular, as, as particular as these sins may seem, it's a very broad-sweeping way of saying, all who have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God will be judged. For all those who have turned from God, who have raised themselves up in pride against him so that there is no fear of God, no reverence or respect for him, there will be judgment. It's not a question of who in this text. We all stand guilty in one way or another. And yet, he does not come as a consuming fire who leaves no way to escape. He does leave a pathway through the flames. In verse 6, God says, I am the Lord. I do not change. Therefore, you children of Jacob, you will not be consumed. You sons of Abraham may pass through without harm. What is God saying here? I mean, a moment ago, God is speaking of how he is a consuming fire, how he will come in switch, swift judgment, how he will indeed establish justice once and for all. For all time, his judgment will stand. And then in the midst of it, he offers mercy. 
Who is this God? Who is like him? How can he do this? How can he in one breath hold out death and yet in the very next offer life? And people of God, we come back to that phrase about a messenger of the covenant. It's the only time in all of scripture that it is used in this way. So what does it mean? Who is this messenger who is God himself? What is his message? And dear Christians, this messenger is none other than Christ himself. Christ comes as one who has a message on his lips. He has come in order to ransom many to himself. He comes in order to negotiate a peace. Christ comes and through his death and suffering and obedience in his life, he brings men to God through the covenant of grace. Christ comes the God-man and he makes a way so that we may pass through the flames unsinged, unscathed. We walk out of the fiery furnace just like Daniel's friends without even the smell of smoke upon us. And yet how can this be? How can God truly be just if he lets sinners go? How can he allow even one sinner to pass through the flames without being consumed? People of God, there is only one way. The God, that God can be both just and merciful. And that is if someone is consumed. You see, that is what Christ did, didn't he? Christ came. As a messenger of peace to us, he came as a child wrapped in swaddling clothes, and this sinless child grew into a sinless man who walked blameless before God. He laid down his life for his sheep. He underwent the fires of God's judgment. He bore our penalty. He was destroyed so that he could bring and give to us a new life so that we might be cleansed of all our impurities before God so that we may boldly stand on that day when Christ comes again. We plead no other name before the Father, no other righteousness before him except Jesus and his blood and righteousness. And we will draw near to God this consuming fire and yet be not consumed. It reminds you of the burning bush that burnt but was not consumed. And in that drawing near, by doing so truly, our God brings us peace. He is the God who has promised peace. He brings peace to his people, not the sword when he draws near. At Calvary, the messenger of peace cleansed his people and the fullness of God came to his temple. And now we wait only one more moment. We await for him to draw near in justice. For Israel to get her wish, for truly the wicked to be dealt with, for all things to be made right in the world. Our God will come again as surely as he came once before in the person of Christ. He will come. But are you prepared for his coming? Are you prepared to meet this consuming fire? People of God, if you are in Christ, you have no reason to fear his drawing near. You will pass through. Oh, to be sure, the flames may hurt a little. 
as he makes us into the image of Christ, as he removes the dross from within us, but you will pass through and meet him in peace. And oh, what a glorious day that will be when he returns and draws his people to himself. People of God, he is coming. He has come once before. He will come again. Hallelujah. Amen. Let us pray. Our God and our Father, we pray that you would help us prepare for your coming. Father, you, this God who demands perfect justice, we pray that you would conform us more and more into your image. Remove the dross from within us. Remove all the impurities that keep us from your face. We pray, God, that you would bring us into your presence truly through the blood of Christ. We plead his name and righteousness over us. And Father, we pray that you would continue to work in us. We pray for your people, that you would not allow them to be consumed by the flames, that uh, as they go through this life of suffering that's filled with much wickedness in the world, many unjust things that... uh, happen and foster themselves here. Father, we pray that you would give us patience, purify us, and help us to wait with longing for that day when there will only be the pure justice of God and all things will be made right. God, we thank you that your promise of coming is yes and amen in Christ Jesus, who indeed came, who appeared, and who was a messenger of peace. We pray, Lord, that you would cause us to uh, seek you in repentance and in hope, longingly awaiting your return. Father, we pray all of these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.